non casan las gat lange fer con lange re. Se lange fer o te se lang conste e de su mi anas conste. Con Langer, it's a podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and with me is my female co-host, Bianca Mangum. Hello. And my exceptional co-host, William Annis. Howdy. And with us, we have a special guest today, uh, Olye... Haikila. Haikila. Yeah, yeah. Haikila. <laughs> yeah, Haikila. Um, and uh, you go by Nunalu on the forums? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the CBB, yeah. Yes. And uh, so, it's my birthday today, by the way. The day we're recording. Happy birthday! And yes. returns. Yes, and... Uh, it will be several uh, weeks before this comes out, but I will still accept birthday presents. <laughs> how, how old are you? Yes. Uh, 24. Oh, good lord. Ooh. <laughs> Spring chicken. That may be uh, the youngest one here. Really? Uh, how old are you? Back, like, should I ask you your age? I just turned 23 in September. Really? 21. I'm yeah. 21. <laughs> okay. It's okay. But you're when the youngest regular host. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. When people look at me, they think I'm 16, and then I yeah. get really annoyed. <laughs> and just to pile on with the the uh, time-sensitive references that will be completely screwed up, I'm also doing Napod Pomo. So there's the, the National Novel Writing Month, and there's also a National... The November is also National Podcast Posting Month. And so I'm doing a podcast called Guy and His Stuff Radio every day for Good November. night. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally just five minutes of me talking about whatever is on my mind. So it's not really nah, anything okay. demanding. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> then do it. I would get the best hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> I was planning on doing it, but November, I'm just going to be way too busy this month to even manage it. Yes. I might do it in December, though. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll link to that in the show notes. Are you doing anything special over there? No, not necessarily. Because whenever I do the narco cream or whatever it is, the novel writing thing, uh, I, I start with everything I do. I start it, and then I get halfway through, and then I get bored, and then I just sit there in a state of lethargic lethargy and just ugh, <laughs> never seem to finish anything. So no, not no, not at all. Yeah. I had an idea to actually do a, a national conline creation month, but you have to have the a goal for every day in these sorts of things. So whether it's one post a, a day or for National Operating Month, it's so many words a day, I think they do. Yeah. So I think what we'd, we'd have to do is like a month for creating your lexicon and do, like, a hundred words a day for 30 well, days. I think there's a pretty good example of this. Um, on the CBB, there was a guy, Gary, whatever his name is, I don't remember, Shannon, I think. He did the 30-day Conlang Chitana, I think. Oh. Which I think um. was kind of the equivalent, but I don't know how far anyone would go with it. Uh, Rich did this. He created a, a language called Lariesh in 
one month. Um, although he was the guy who who put in the entire Navajo aspect system and then realized he didn't know what to do with it when he was done. Yeah, there's 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 all sorts of little challenges to deal with. But anyway, that's not our topic. As much as we'd like to talk about doing uh, uh, Conlang Creation Month, maybe next year we'll try to organize it. But um, our topic today is grammatical voice. So basically a lot of people will have this tendency to a lot of conlangers, especially beginning conlangers, will have this tendency to gloss over voice. And we had an email about this uh, fairly recently where a guy just felt like voice was loose, useless. So he hated the passive. He hated the he passive. Had, I remember that. He hated that. the passive. And uh, this episode, we're going to disabuse anybody who who hates passive of the notion that passive is useless. But... Anyway, it's even more than just active versus passive voice. It's a lot of different things. Yeah. So, and it's a little have... bit it, it's a little bit complicated because some of the things that get called voices, I consider sort of transitivity argument increasing operations. So, transitivity and voice mix in funky and complicated ways as well. So. There's a whole raft of theoretical issues I'm just going to dance lightly over today, so mm-hmm. if if you become interested in something, you should dig into it deeper yourself, because I'm, I'm going to just wave my hands a few times. Well, why don't you get us started, because you have all your big notes. All William, my big on, notes. Yes. Okay, so voice is just the term we use to describe how the verb relates to its arguments. So I run versus I see the dog. Um, and you can use the active voice to describe that relationship um, for the sentences that I gave. And then the different voices that we have, passive, anti-passive, inverse, all of that fun, middles, um, are ways to change the relationship between the verb arguments. Mm-hmm. So it's really useful in these discussions to talk about roles again. So you talk about the agent of a verb, the patient of a verb, um, and I also like to talk about the focus of a verb, and that's confusing, right? Because focus means one thing in discourse, but in the sort of verb argument stuff, focus means, well, it's kind of patient-like. So if I say, I kick the door, then the door is the patient. It is actually on the receiving end of some action. Okay. If I say, I see the door... I'm not changing the door in any way. It's not receiving any action. I'm not shooting rays out of my eyes or anything. So I always found this confusing when I was in school. They would say the direct object is the thing that is changed by the verb. Well, if I look at a door, it's not changed. So in in more formal terms, we can talk about the focus of the verb. Okay. You know, that, that piece of information you need to complete the sense. So I see, what do you see? I see the door. Voila. Hmm. So, voice describes the, the relationship between the verb and the arguments. Why do we have different voices? Two main reasons. Discourse. We want to keep the most important thing at the center of attention, and switching to different voices lets us do that. Second, there might be grammar requirements. For example, in languages of Australia... All sorts of grammar can only happen to nouns that are in the absolutive form, not the ergative form. Interesting. Think, things like relative clauses, things like uh, the man walked into the barn and saw the woman has to have some trickiness because that sort of um, 
keeping the subject the same from clause to clause has to be absolutive in some of these languages. So he saw the woman has to be switched around from the normal voice because the the grammar requires a switch. Okay. It'd be really awkward to work with. Uh, well, you know, all sorts of aboriginals do it fine. Yeah, I'm sure you get used to it, but like, for us non-thetically English speakers, it'd be a bit icky at first. Yeah. English and a lot of the Indo-European languages are really loosey-goosey about things like this. Almost mm. any case role can be the head of a relative clause in English or Latin or Greek or any of those. Yeah. Um, so we're used to a lot of flexibility there, but lots of languages are more uptight about this. Yeah, we can mm. even put the object of a preposition right uh, at the as the uh, in a, a relative clause, and that's something that uh, a that's, lot of languages don't do. Yeah, yeah, that's way out there on the, the, the hierarchy of possibilities. We've talked about some different r- ways you can use it, but, and different ways that, different reasons you might require passive voice, where, um, you know, mentioning that you want to move certain information to the front. You want to move. You want to move information around to make it a legal relative clause. Um, what about? But what about the different kinds of voices? So, in English, we have active and passive voice, and I think probably most Indo-European languages have that. Um. Yeah, I would argue that. Ancient Greek did not, in fact, actually have a passive. Really? Um, because they had other ways to do all of the things they needed to do. So ancient Greek is weird, and we can get to that later when we talk about the middle voice, which is sort of interesting. Okay. So, um, so let's, let's save that for later. But yeah, most European languages, I think it's it's safe to say, have a passive. And I've seen it in other in non-European languages, too. Sure. But. Um, but there's all other voices like anti-passive, mm-hmm. which is kind of the opposite of passive, right? That's what it means. Yes. So in the in the, <laughs> in the passive, <laughs> we um, demote the agent of the verb. Exactly. Right. In the anti-passive, we demote the direct object. Mm-hmm. So, and here's an interesting and important thing. In English, we can have a passive and still mention the agent of the verb, and we use an oblique. We use the preposition by. I was hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Um, in lots of languages, if you use the passive, you are forbidden from naming the agent. You can only use the passive when you're not going to be talking about the agent at all. Mm. So a lot of the Semitic languages work that way. Same mm. with the anti-passive. Some languages, you you remove the object, poof, it's gone forever. And in others, you can have an oblique. And what that means is you've sort of defocused the direct object. You're you're less. It's you need it there to complete the sense, but you're not talking about specific um, things. So 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 I, I'm thinking uh, in Nez Perce, So these nice Sahaptian languages has an anti-passive. So you can either say I, you know, went collecting. I don't know clams. <laughs> and it can mean specific clams, you know, if you, you know, they've probably got dozens of names for clams, right? I went collecting clams. Or you can use the anti-passive, which says, I was collecting some clams. We don't care okay. about that. Right. Mm. So there are a small number of languages that use the anti-passive whenever the direct object is plural. Whenever okay. it's, it's of, you know, um, um, indefinite. So, 
there's there's lots of kinds of trickery that can happen in in, in an anti-passive sort of defocusing. It makes sense to see how an anti-passive would work specifically in an ergative language as sort of the mirror image of the passive. I think rem I remember at one point though, William, you said that um, the anti-passive can occur in nominative accusative. Yeah, there, there's this pervasive idea that the anti-passive is something that almost always or exclusively occurs in ergative languages. That turns out not to be true. There are plenty of nominative accusative languages with anti-passives. Hmm. So how how can that how does that exactly work? Because I don't see. It's it's the the same sort of thing. For any reason, you might need to defocus the direct object. Okay. Okay. You don't care about the amount. It's indefinite. It's plural. Um, you may have funky requirements on your um, relative clause heads. Right. It doesn't have to be an absolutive ergative description, right? It could be nominative accusative. The same problem arises. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I see. Um, Bianca, do you have any opinion? Mm. <laughs> um, pretty opinionless at this point. <laughs> <laughs> or any question? Uh, this well, this is probably a completely off-topic thing. And it might probably be more for an article episode thing, but um, you might have heard of something called the Chomer, um, C-H-O with a circumflex, M-E-U-R, um, and very little, it's on Wikipedia, some very little languages use it, and it's like an article, obviously because I've just said it's an article, um, and it denotes a demotation of the thing, and it's used with things such as passive and anti-passive. Like, if obviously the basic um, example would be the dog bit the man. Obviously, the dog would be the agent. I think. Yes. Correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the man would be the patient and so you if you were saying the man was bit by the dog um you'd have to demote the dog so you put the shamer wherever you put your articles near the dog if you get what i'm saying so it's just like ins instead of having to like feed it in there via gloss or whatever so people like okay so you're, that's sort of a specific way to apply a voice. Sure. Yeah. Maybe we should we should probably talk a little bit about how to construct different voices because it's not necessarily it's not necessarily going to follow the same pattern as English or uh, I'll, probably a lot of Europeans languages using the the um, auxiliaries, but I want to get into, now this is a question that I have had, and William, I know that you can answer this, <laughs> because of ancient Greek, what exactly is a middle voice? So, we'll step away from ancient Greek a little bit, we'll just start with the simplest case, the middle is when the agent and the patient are the same. Most of the Romance or Western European languages use reflexives for a middle. Ah. Je love, you know, I, I like French, je love, you know, le water or whatever, like I wash the car. Whereas if I'm washing myself, it's je me love. Okay. It's where the agent and the patient are the same. Okay, so... It literally is the same thing as a reflexive. Well, no. I mean, yes, in the sense that the reflexive sort of syntax is how that is formed in Western Europe, which, by the way, is an extremely strange way to do that. Um, 
But a reflexive, I see myself in the mirror, is not exactly the same as I wash my hands. Oh, okay. I see. Um, I know that in Spanish, uh, reflexives are the the reflexive syntax. I guess is traditionally sometimes called voz pasiva, or actually uh, considered a separate passive, other than the uh, the other which uses um, ser as an aux auxiliary. What? <laughs> I know that. No. No. Am I going crazy? <laughs> no. Um. That's actually uh. Uh, it gets complicated. Estar. So when, when the, there's actually a a distinction in Spanish that doesn't occur in English. When you change the state of something, you can use estar to mean that, but a passive is 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 formed using ser. So oh, no, no, no. English has that. You're yeah, no. English definitely has that. You're, you're talking about an active versus um, – you're talking about a dynamic versus a state of passive, right? Yeah, I guess you can say that. That's the difference like, between um, – I, 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 I was hit by a car versus I got hit by a car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the same. You could say – basically, so in Spanish, like, um, if I say I um, – I, if I say – no, it is Sarah, now that I think about it. I had to translate something or else I get confused. If, I, if I'm if i using sort of the change of state, the example that the, they gave me was the door was closed. Uh, uh, el, uh, la puerta estaba cerrada because it's a change of state. But in other cases, you'd use ser, so... La puerta fue cerrada, or um, you see a lot, fue fundido. Uh, los Estados Unidos fue fundido. The, the United States were was founded. Right, got founded, yeah. 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 And so that's less considered a change of state as, as more sort of the, uh, and more just straight up passive. Or, mm -hmm. so... Well, yeah. But I think I think what confused Bianca is that is not v really commonly used that much because they actually use a uh I think they actually now that I think of it the way after you explained it I think what they're used more often is almost a middle based on the the reflexive stuff like when you see uh, signs that say "Se habla español." Right. That is mm, yes and no. Okay, continue. Sorry. <laughs> That's like some some indefinite person associated with this place speaks Spanish, but it's I don't know really if it's supposed if you can call it a passive or call it a middle. Right. Right. This right when you have an indefinite. This this happens all the time. And English is a little bit weird about this, right? You can say this rice cooks well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of middly. And and this is a common sort of grammaticalization of the middle is for it to sort of veer off into this kind of somebody did something we no longer we we really don't care who, and that from there it's an easy step to the passive. Mm hmm. Um, and I've seen this in lots of languages all over the planet where, yes, it's a middle, blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, it's also used if you have an indefinite subject. Oh, great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and that's how, I mean, that's how some languages do what we consider the passive, which is, you know, I think Finnish does this, right? They have a special indefinite pronoun that just sort of is a subject and does mm -hmm. things to people. So the passive is a little bit weird. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. Never mind. I don't know. <laughs> uh, just the mystery person doing stuff to people. Sorry. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a little, it sounds a little uns unseemly. Um, 
So the, the distinction between stative and dynamic passive is interesting because some languages, like I think Vietnamese has multiple kinds of passives. Um, and there the sense is more like the sort of classic or, or the, the mainstream sense of the word passive in English, right? You have one passive that just is sort of normal, something happened to you and we don't care about the agent. And another um, implies that the experiencer of this incident is, you know, badly affected by things. Huh. Um, but but that's a little a little switch. I mean, so since we're talking about the middle, the reason I said I don't think ancient Greek has a passive is because the the thing that gets called the medio passive in Greek never ever ever means a passive until you give it an oblique agent. Okay. The rest of the time it's the middle, and and because ancient Greek doesn't need a passive first. It has word order to control discourse. Mm -hmm. Second of all, it has no grammatical requirements on case, right? A noun in any case can do anything in any clause. Okay. So it doesn't it, need a There's no need for a passive, so it doesn't have one. <laughs> that's, that's very interesting because I've been wondering whether I need... In my case, an antipassive or any kind of actual other alternate voice in Irio. And it turns out it really has the same qualities as ancient Greek. It's non-configurational and it, I can put pretty much anything into a relative clause or into other clauses. Then there's, then there's very little need. Yeah. So, and one last uh one of the, another thing that you had listed here though is an inverse voice right which looks baffling <laughs> <laughs> so an in so inverses um for a long time people didn't believe there was something called the inverse they thought it was just a weird passive so one thing we've not talked about is how you indicate something is in the passive versus being in the active. And there are different ways to do this. In the European languages, you have an entirely different system of conjugation. Yes. Um, or some sort of helper verb and participle wackiness is, you know, in, in Western Europe. Um, uh, you might, if, even if you don't conjugate the verb, you might have some marker. And I'm used to seeing um, affixes, bound morphemes that change the voice of verbs, suffixes mm -hmm. or prefixes or whatever. Like you could just stick an S on the end. <laughs> For example. Oddly, um, um, Chinese has one that I see that seems very strange to me. Obey. They have the preposition bay. Right. Which, after bay, comes your agent. Mm-hmm. So, well, I was hit by a car. But you can also actually omit the, uh, you can actually omit it, so it was, you, it's, I was hit. Yes. So, like, it, it, it's kind of weird, because it's, it, you could kind of consider it like a coverb, or you could kind of consider it a preposition where you can drop the object. Right. And and once again, though, notice what's happened is you have shifted the agent. No, not the agent. You've shifted the thing you care most about to the front of the sentence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So you, you, expect, you expect um, more voice trickery, I think. I think I'm safe in saying this. You expect more voice tricks like this in a language with a really fixed word order. Uh-huh. Because you have fewer ways to, to, to control what you care about. Um, there was something else about that Chinese example I was going to say. Oh, it, the, the Chinese bay is kind of fun because it can be applied to intransitive verbs or, or phrase idioms. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Like you can say, I was had tea with. <laughs> 
which means you were invited to see some bureaucrats and the whole experience was really bad. And, and, and more alarmingly, you can say that you were suicided right when you're in jail right? oh, you were yes. killed by the government, right? So, so there's or, lots of things bait, going on there. The yes, he's, there's... Um... And, and another reason people claimed there was no such thing as an inverse is because some languages just do this with word order. Okay. You know, voice voice switches, so, so it would be indistinguishable without careful looking from a passive. So let's go go on ahead and define what the inverse is. What you were, your notes make it look like it's sort of like uh, an agency hierarchy. Well, no, 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 no. Well, the inverse hierarchy here is I'm saying that that hierarchy that I list is things that might trigger the inverse. So, so the inverse voice just does what you think it does. It turns I saw the dog into the dog saw I. It just reverses the roles. Okay. Except it doesn't do it. You know, it's it's it, <clears throat> it's not quite the same as a passive because a passive demotes your yeah. agent. The inverse doesn't demote it in the same way. It just moves it around. Okay. Wait. Um, will that change cases? Yes. Okay, so let me see if I can figure out. So in the inverse, they switch places? Yes. Okay. Does Is there any change in nope. meaning, though? Again, don't get hung up on the meaning. Why do we do this? Because we either want somebody else to be moved to the front of the sentence, or we have some grammatical restrictions that we have to satisfy. Mm-hmm. If if you can only have nominatives as the head of a relative clause, then you might need an inverse in either the matrix or the relative clause. Okay. I'm still... Okay, well then... I mean, I can hunt down some examples and we can put them up on the the, the blog when we <clears throat> post this. Because it, it helps to see some examples. But I'm just trying to figure out how this is different from a passive or an It's anti-passive. different from a passive because you're not removing either the agent or the patient. Okay. You're simply switching, you're simply switching their case marking and their, their role marking in the sentence. In the in the, in the canonical passive, your agent is shunted away completely. In the inverse, it simply moves someplace else. So in English, we're used to being able to say by the, you know, right, we can give the agent of a passive sentence. But it's sort of marked. It's in some weird case or a prepositional phrase or whatever. So, but, okay, so I, I, I'm understanding, I think I understand now. So a passive, you're, if you are taking the agent out of the sentence, and if you do find a way to stick it back in, it's a very marked Correct. structure. But an inverse, you don't take anything out of the sentence. You just switch the places of the agent Correct. and the patient. Yay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So the, the, the example, I'm, you're most likely to see these inverses in languages where that have these really tight requirements on what is allowed to be the head of a relative clause or you know what argument can you omit from clause to clause to clause and still have it say yes this is actually the same subject right so there can be some switch some switch reference stuff which we've never really talked about on the show before can can come into to play there there are other languages that use the inverse for other things such as First or second person pronouns might trigger an inverse. There might be positions in the sentence where a first or second person pronoun cannot go. Right? It may be that second person pronouns can never be a direct object. Okay. Huh. So then you would need the inverse to 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 say that. Um, I could I could I could see that happening. Right. So, and and this we've seen this a little bit in some of these Algonquin languages where you have. The, the weird inversion happening. It's not exactly the same, so I don't I don't want to get too confused about that. Uh, 
Yeah, it's not what well, you made a special note to say. We can't confuse this with the direct inverse. But it's but agreement. it's the same sort of high level principle of being preoccupied with agency and animacy. Who's who do we talk most about? Who do we care most about? Who has to be at the center of the conversation? First and second person pronouns are much higher on the list than nouns about abstractions. Okay. Right. So person might lead to uh, inversion. Definite or indefinite articles. Or definite or indefinite nouns. Okay. You might decide that um, definites can't be low. That, you know, you need to shove that forward. Um, you might decide that somebody who, uh, an argument that is highly animate or is a person always has to come at the front. And we talked about this a little bit with Navajo. Um, a few shows ago. There, the word order is determined by animacy. People must always come before dogs in transitive senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people interpret what's going on in the Navajo verb as an inverse. I see. Um, one last thing you had listed here um, before we move on to the featured conlang was you had applicatives listed, and I kind of wonder if maybe we should we should just cover applicatives in a different show because it seems like a bigger topic than this. But um, it's not really. It's the same sort of thing. Applicatives are there because you want to keep most important things as core parts of your verb structure. So, what is an applicative? An applicative is when you add a, a marker on the verb that says, this verb now has a new argument. The most common kind of applicative in the world is the benefactive. Which, you, you do oh, something yeah. for someone. I, you know, I fetch water for my mother. And you just add this new, you add the applicative marker to the verb, and now your mom has become a core argument. You're doing this for her. Okay. Um, uh, another example is, uh, I mentioned this before, the Blackfoot language, uh, a semantically intransitive noun cannot ever be the subject of a transitive verb. You cannot say, the knife cut the bread. Instead, you have to say, someone cut the bread, and use an instrumental applicative with the knife. Okay. So again, mm. you, you've, they've come up with another way to keep people poof, as the core arguments of the verb. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, applicatives are very, very complicated because they typically induce all sorts of argument shuffling, which is more complicated. And, and, you know, maybe we can talk about it in some, you know, future episode of verb torturing. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can't hear you. Asking about or saying about for for the podcast, and it does seem like right now people are interested in applicatives, but are also baffled by them. Okay, I think about the first half of what you said got lost in a bunch of robots. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I was just saying I, I I don't visit the um the the forums you know ZBB CBB very often, but I you know, check once a week or so just to see if anyone has questions or things for the show. And sometimes I, I sort of hang out and read other things. And it seems like people have become interested in applicatives recently, but are confused by them. Yeah. Why don't we, since we've uh, done um, voice to death, why don't we talk about our featured conlang, which is... Say or something. Say yes. Say yo. <laughs> say yo. Yo, dog. Is it say yo? I I can't find the his his stuff about how to pronounce this name. But say yo. 
Ooh. Definitely uh, wrong in every way. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say Teo. Teo or Tio, I don't I'm know. I'm guessing it's not Tio. Well, it could be the an anglicized spelling, but I don't mm. know. Anyway, I'll say Teo for now, but this is created by... Do we have this? the name of the creator? Not his real name. Just Wyckoval. So, created by Wyckoval on the forums. And he has a uh, rather annoying website, as me and William (laughs) were talking about before the recording. So, let's kind of get that out of the way. But, uh... It was brought to our attention because it has idiophones. Yes, it does. But I can't find the information on the idiophones. Uh If you look at the vocabulary list, you will find them. Okay. Which is... Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen them. So, this guy did... um, Peace Corps service in the Republic of Guinea and seems to have been very um, influenced by the local languages and inspired by them in creating this language, which it sure looks like he has subsequently abandoned. It doesn't seem like this has been updated in a few years. Yeah, it's kind of of an old site. Mm. And... Uh, okay. Idiophones. He has UCUC of spinning, rolling, end over end. Yeah, he has he has some idiophones in here. They're kind of mixed in with everything else. Uh, but I like the um the stuff that he has yeah, up here. Yeah, it's, it's a nicely nicely done language. Um. Uh. I especially was drawn to his verbs. So he has two different uh, he has two different um, ways of declining verbs. Then one applies to um, let me see if I can find it. There's a simple verbs and then auxiliaries, right? Yep. And the auxiliaries take a whole lot more marking, it seems like, than they the um, the regular verbs. And there's a whole deal of like there's changes to tone in addition to various affixes that are stuck on for aspect and uh, tense and polarity. Uh, I found Mm -hmm. that a little... I only know of a small number of languages that use tone switching to mark grammatical things, and and they're Mm -hmm. not exactly (laughs) close to where he was, but they're they're on the right continent, so... uh, He even says he's not sure it's, it's very naturalistic, and I certainly have doubts, but... It's it's a nice way of, of approaching the issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it is interesting to see that he had to for him to do that and to have these two different paradigms for it's it's the full tam. Tense aspect is mood is defined on these verb complexes. Yep. And um it's not exactly clear which part is marked by tone switching. I think the it's verb just, stem. There's a whole lot of. It's the what? verb stem. The verb stem, yeah, is altered by it, but there there's different changes in tone for each one. I think. Um. Did you guys see anything else that grabbed you? I know there's. He has. I'm rather confused by his noun classes. He has them, but doesn't tell us what they're for. Well, he has, like, 
for one thing, his noun classes seem to be mixed up with numbers. That's okay. So, so he that's has, a standard. Um, how should we say? That's a standard feature of Bantu language description: is they count um, the singular and the plural as um, different instances of a class. So class three and class four go together, right? Three is the singular, um, four is the plural. Okay. Right. So I've I've complained so, about that. I think even in the last episode, I said you know you know Swahili has eight classes or you know something that like, however you count right eight or sixteen or whatever. Uh, so that okay. that's normal. Well, other than that, uh, he just seems to have a a um, animate inanimate distinction to me. But he mixes up it up with numbers so that there's animate singular and animate plural, inanimate singular and animate plural, and inanimate plural, and then he has a special noun class for collective nouns yep. or mass mm -hmm. nouns rather. So, and they're all marked by a prefix. Of some kind. All of this is very standard Bantu kinds of stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't really have much to say on this. Uh, it just reminds me a lot of the language I did in field methods for good reason. <laughs> oh, was it a Bantu? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's nice, though, that the verb, I'm looking at his grammar summary or grammar notes, and all sorts of things happen on the verb that deal with our issue today. So there's an applicative, ta-da, um, which is highly deranged. It does all sorts of changes to the verb stem. Um, and it's sort of a general applicative. It can mean all sorts of things, not just a benefactive. Um, so he has the example sa, meaning to grab something. So sanang, meaning to grab something for someone. Um, Okay, um, yeah. I just saw something, though. It's not just that he mixes up the uh, number with his stuff. It seems like you can mix and match the classes for singular and plural. So if you look down his table N02. Which is where? On his on the uh, on the nouns page that you downloaded. <laughs> okay, the nouns. <laughs> the uh, nominal morphology. Nominal yeah. Nominal morphology. So, if you pair o and sa, it's large, rounded, oval inanimates. Huh. If you pair pair O and A, it's animates. If you pair K and Mo, it's small round drops, scattered spots, and animate. So it's kind of a weird. Uh, it seems. Uh, it seems like he was trying to pull something interesting there. Huh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I understand how the pairings work. I would love to see more examples of those. Yeah, yeah. Although I love these example um, sentences. <laughs> Little red pigs ran away this way and that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not no glosses. No. Right well, glosses on the uh, on the site. Barely. Some glosses on the site, but no glosses on the pages that inexplicably need to be downloaded. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but um, I like that it's tonal. That makes me happy too. <laughs> Ole, do you have any ideas about any anything that jumps out at you as interesting? No, not really. It just seems like a very stand standard Bantu language, but it it works quite well. Um it mm -hmm. it sounds quite good. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, my, I can't really say a lot about it because it's quite standard. But I do, I do like the tonal thing. I do like the tonal. Yeah. yeah. It looks like he has three tones. Three tones or? and something else going on, which I can't. F- Sometimes I'll see the eh vowel with double hash marks above it. And I have no idea what that means. Is that creaky voice or mm. something? I have no idea what that is. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I don't know. It could be a falling tone. Because I know with my. Well, it depends on how much he took and how much he invented. With the language I did, we had generally three tones. And then at the end, I think part of like the sandy was like if you got a low tone at the end, it became like a falling tone. Oh, that could be. Mm. So it could be something similar to that. It could be. Otherwise, his his um, transcript, his um, romanization is basically just IPA. Yeah. It well, like. it's less uh, to me. I see it less as as IPA than s- standard Central African. We need to we need uh, to distinguish oh, okay. um, lax from tense middle vowels. Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure. A what little both, seeing, but so. <laughs> I think I think C is t- like the like the name Wait, of the language. But he has. T- oh, I thought it was a ch. But he has ts. Mm. Describe the sound system. So. Do we? Uh, <laughs> Wait, I haven't even seen a C. Hold on. Let me go to the C section. Oh, there is. Do they have K? They have K and C. Oh. I don't think he has any phonology charts anymore. No. Explain mm. this. Please explain your romanization. Please. Is even if they uh, adhere closely to IPA, we need to. Mm. Yeah, I've seen other African languages with the the epsilon and the uh, open uh-huh. o. So I didn't know that was why that. Oh happened, my but... god, I hate that. <laughs> why? <laughs> really? Because oh, because of the um, not a lot of font or not a lot of modern fonts support IPA. Oh, sure. And. Whenever you try and write with something like that, it suddenly switches to Times New Roman. It's just like, oh, that's so disgusting. <laughs> oh, really? It can be difficult. He also has uh, Engma in there. In, right. In there, and, so yeah, that's the character and stuff. Mm. Yeah. I like, I like using Engma in certain situations. I like using Engma in English. <laughs> <laughs> now, the way my handwriting works, it's practically, I'm practically... Yeah, that's the way my handwriting goes. I just basically do an Engma, and it's like, good enough. No one cares. Honestly, Engma would... Um, using Engma in English would improve it because precisely the, re- the, the situation that I think Engma is most suited for is a language where you have a distinction between... Uh, mm, and ng, mm. as in English, has singer and finger. Yeah. So, so it looks like he has those horrible co-articulations that drive me bonkers. Oh, <laughs> oh does the, the he? GB and, and KP that I have such a hard time with. <laughs> oh dear. Bong bong me. Bong bong me. Yeah, oh, I'm not really yes. a fan of the. Aesthetics of this language. But. No, I like it fine. I think it's a nice thing, but it's hard to pronounce. I don't know. I didn't try to really pronounce anything. I was looking more at grammar stuff, so I didn't really think of the phonetics. Um, he has some translations that are nice because he tries to alter the style. So apparently, sometime on the ZBB, they took a passage of The Prince by Machiavelli and had people translate that. And yes. he has um, that translation is kind of nifty, I think, because he 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 you know makes it sort of idiomatic, not you know Renaissance Italian bombast, but a, a different yeah. kind of style. <laughs> yeah, and he, he yeah, you can see, for example, he doesn't actually say the word prince; he translates it as right. leader, right? 
and in the glass you see like words like elder and father and stuff in that position. So obviously he's doing a little bit of a cultural translation, which is interesting. Yeah, no, it's nice. And the wind and the the north wind and the sun Uh also has some of this stuff. And, and, we have stories, so we get to use idiophones. <laughs> so that makes me happy. So they have one where the story is called Mrs. Red Chicken and the Seeds She Found, which is an outdated <laughs> translation exercise, which is a shame, because that's a great um, story title. Ooh, he used to have glottal stops and so forth. Anyway, um, even if that's outdated, I think some people might find that inspiring. Just look at how he translated things. Yeah. And uh-huh. how he used idiophones, because here's a guy who's had experience with languages that actually have them. Uh huh. So you can see yeah. how those can be used in a in a real in a real context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a a good way to figure out exactly where you would put various uh, idiophones. Oh, they've got her pounding rice with... Oh, it's this co-articulation that makes me crazy. (laughs) 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 Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. It's it's voiceless. (laughs) And it's K and... I'm going to have to work on that one. Anyway. (laughs) I feel like a guitar string. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. What what's weird is it seems like he has Yeah. He has both bilabials, you know, P and B and the uh-huh. co articulated K P G B things, which is yeah. a little bit unusual, so he's enriched the sound system mm. a bit. Oh, do they usually have a, a gap? Yeah, typically typically the letter P represents that KP combination because there's no normal P. Yeah. Oh. I actually, the okay. language I had only had the bilabial trill and not B or P. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no. Like but it, people always, em- always overemphasize it because it doesn't really sound like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough note. That's a tough sound. <laughs> Like, if you heard it, you really just think it's a B, and it wasn't until we actually looked at him while I was saying it, we're like, that's not a normal B. (laughs) Well, when you're saying it, probably when he's saying it in normal speech, it's a lot less um, emphatic. Just like in, um, like, Spanish, when you do a trill, when normal Spanish speakers do a trill... It's not, it's very like... It's not even like that. It's like you can do an extended trill in Spanish for emphasis. You would never do the hoarse, like, annoyed sound for the actual trill. Hmm. Hmm, okay. I'll have to actually look up languages that have it's this. incredibly and... rare. I Listen. think Piraha is... has it. And not only does Piraha have it, but they don't use it around strangers because they get made fun of. <laughs> right, so field so linguists how, how may not get linguist- exposure to a common sound in the language for a while because they they don't get laughed at. So do do they have to actually let the people get used to them yeah. or something? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, in That's in the, the the grammar summary for this language, he has a long list of. Um, grammatical voice changing things that go on. So we picked this language really well. Um, this is actually, Bantu languages are known for this too, having a bunch of applicative types. So he's got accommodative, committative rather, which indicates that you do something with somebody, mm-hmm. which is kind of funky, right? You do something with somebody and you've turned them into a core argument of the verb. And then locative, yeah. and then, of course, he's got this reflexive, which is a different kind of... Uh, so I'm trying to think. Uh, so an applicative turns something that would usually be some sort of oblique case into a core yes, argument, yes, right? Yes, yes. Okay. 
Now, now that makes sense. And that's sense. why it gets confusing when you allow this to happen to a transitive verb. <laughs> ah. Your your way is eased if you allow noun incorporation. Ah, yes. Um. So, does anybody else have any final thoughts on this language? Maybe um, he he uses um things that wrap around noun phrases to be what we would call prepositions. He calls them circumpositions. They're kind of they're kind of Chinese like where you have uh the first part indicates motion or lack of motion and then the noun and then the last part indicates um you know on or in or above or whatever. Oh, okay. I was trying to figure out what you where where you were going with Chinese like now, now that it yep. makes sense. Um that's an interesting thing. Um I don't know if that's actually what a circumposition is. Um, he calls them circumpositions. Yeah, it looks more like uh, a verb phrase has done something funky. Yeah. Mm. Um, sometimes sometime I need to have someone explain to me what an imposition is, by the way. That's not in this, but... <laughs> an imposition anyway. is when your neighbor asks you to do something you don't want to do. Well, we'll talk about it when 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 we do add position, maybe. But anyway, um, (laughs) dang, phonetic assimilation. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that's about all for the show. Then, unless somebody has anything else to say about say no, no. All right. Time for wisdom. Uh, William. Yes. Yes. William, any uh, final words of wisdom? A man may carry borscht from Minsk to Pinsk, but he will limp. Uh. Okay. Um, Bianca? Um. What am I supposed to follow that with? (laughs) I don't know. What were you planning on? The usual no wisdom at all. Okay. Ole, do you have anything? No. I think I pronounced your name about 30 different times, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't mind. Well, then I'm going to say Happy Conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own Conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304 873 We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Medeus. So, New York Magazine would have these contests, and one of the contests was to make up proverbs from different parts of the world. And the one I just gave you was the winning Russian entry. (laughs) I learned that from Paul Fromer, who has a a book they came out with just full of these ridiculous things. Like, one of their contests was to come up with um, greeting cards for unusual events. Um, the best, the best one was saw the smoke. Now your pope, congrats. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Okay.
I'm getting an odd echo from Me? you. Yeah, did you, like, knock yeah. out a headphone or something? Because... No. Your sound quality changed. Like, now <laughs> I can hear myself. Well, I got, I'm getting an echo from you, too, Bianca. That's no, weird. I think it's on his side. Because I couldn't hear myself before. Did you go to, like, speaker or something? Okay. Nope. Well, I could I I clearly heard echo. Oh, yeah. I'm hearing it too. No wait. We're all getting echoes. Mm -hmm. Are we still weird. hearing echoes? Hold on. Nope. Or, See, or you yes. sound like you're back to normal. Yeah. Okay. Let me all right. See well, here. George can edit this out. Okay. I think we're fixed. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'll I'll see if we can we can we can I can edit that out. But um. Well, let's okay. see. Okay. Let me get. Are we having a guest today? Uh, we were supposed to, but I don't know if he's on. He's on on mine, which is why I ask. Is this is this the right guy? The Ollie, whatever. Guy. I thought there was another guy. Is this the guy that was supposed to be guest? Is this Nunalu? Or is uh, this the Spanish guy? No, this is Ollie, I think is his name. Ole, I don't know. Well, it's not the Spanish guy. Do you want me to add him to the conference and see who he is? <laughs> <laughs> if you want. It's not Jaime. Uh, I know that. Okay. I'll see. So there's somebody with the login name Vesia looking at today's show notes. Uh, uh, we'll have to see if um, this is the same guy. That we could just ask him. Yeah. Yeah, just invite him. Um, if not, we'll be like, hey, random person. Hello? Hello. Uh, Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even have any idea why you're in this random conference? Or No. No. Yeah, but... <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> We're thinking we 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 think we know who you are, but we're not sure. Did I? <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> this is a Con Langry podcast. I know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. Are you the one that's on the dock right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. So you should be the right person. Yeah. I have no idea because, like, I did not keep records of who was was who. Yeah. It was confusing. I understand, yeah. 